This is the Athletic Lab Sport Performance Podcast, episode number eight. This is a two-part Q&A series on sprinting with Mike Young. Part one will focus on much of the research regarding sprinting, and part two will cover much more on the application side for on the track and in the weight room. We have Dr. Mike Young back with us on the Athletic Lab Sport Performance Podcast. Uh, this one's going to be all about speed training here. Um, so, Mike, thanks for coming back on for the Q&A. Thanks again, John. Uh, yep. And so we'll get right into it here. Um, when coaches talk about speed, um, it's a very general term uh, that, that I think everybody uses. So give us the idea of what, what's the difference between speed for track and then speed for field and core sports. Well, that's a great question, and I think it's one that needs to be addressed because uh, speed is a term that's used universally, but in different populations it means different things. In a sport like track and field, most of the time when someone's referring to someone who is very fast, they're talking about something like 100-meter speed or 200-meter speed or more, maybe even more specifically uh, what someone can achieve for, say, a 10-meter split, what their, what their peak velocity is. Uh, that contrasts sharply to what athletes who are competing in team sports referred to as speed. In those sports, a lot of times when coaches, athletes, and spectators refer to speed, what they're actually talking about is a very short burst speed or acceleration. And the physical qualities and the mechanics are actually quite a bit different between what it takes to accelerate well and what it takes to uh, run at top end speed well. And then obviously we have components like speed endurance, which come into play the longer you run, uh, as we might see in something like uh, 200 meter or 400 meters on the track. So there's different definitions of speed uh, outside of the classical one. And for us to really speak the same language, we need to be more specific in terms of what we're talking about in regards to speed. A lot of times when I think people use uh, the term as they understand it or as they define it and perhaps they have a discussion with someone who is from a different realm whether that be a different sport or a different field they get into debates where no one is wrong and no one is really correct and that comes down to the fact that they're essentially using different definitions of the same word uh, and unable to make com compatible arguments so we really need to make sure we're speaking the same language when we talk about speed. Uh, I think it helps to break things down into acceleration and top end speed and, and uh, speed endurance if necessary. So it's fine to call acceleration a form of speed. That's certainly more relevant to your team and field sports. But if you're speaking to a track and field person, just recognize that that's not likely the same thing that they are referring to when they talk about speed. Uh, all right, and so it, with with team sports or mainly field and court sports, acceleration say is the main component, um, and maybe track and field sprinters max velocity is one of many important components. So, give us the characteristics of of those different components of speed. It, 
mainly acceleration and max velocity. So in terms of uh, acceleration, I think what you see is that strength plays a much larger role. Uh, and this is well supported by research. And this is one of the things that people get their panties up in a bunch about because you'll have some people who look at the research or look at their anecdotal evidence on team sports and say, hey, my rugby team or my football team or my uh, baseball players, they improved their squat or their power clean or their deadlift and they ran faster. And there's quite a bit of research evidence and anecdotal evidence to suggest this is the case out for short distances. Uh, so strength plays a much larger role. Uh, you'll get your track and field athletes or track and field coaches countering that same argument by saying, well, Usain Bolt can barely squat and barely power clean and he's the fastest man who ever lived. So strength can't possibly be all that important. And as I said before, neither person is really correct and neither person is incorrect. They're just defining the word speed differently. With regards to acceleration, strength is very important. Uh, what I would call low-end power, being able to express uh, power with less of a time constraint. So uh, big forces, you have a lot longer time on the ground. Uh, it tends to be a little bit more concentrically oriented contraction force. It tends to be a little bit less elastic in nature. Uh, your ground contact times are going to be as much as uh, one and a half times what we might see at top end speed. And then as we transition all the way to top end speed, what we see is that the forces generated tend to be a little bit more uh, vertical in nature as opposed to the horizontal forces generated during acceleration. They tend to occur over a much shorter period of time, some, in some cases maybe as short as 0.082 of a, of a second on the ground. Uh, they tend to be much more elastic, reflexive, and eccentrically generated than what we might see during acceleration. Uh, so just purely from the physiology of it and the nuts and bolts of how those forces are produced, there is certainly a dichotomy of what's going on to be successful at acceleration being different than what it takes to be really successful at top end speed. They're not completely separate, and this should be obvious, but they are on different sides of a con different sides of the same continuum. And this is why you might see some athletes who are great at acceleration but don't have great top end speed and vice versa. People who are great when you give them a little bit of a fly-in run uh, or it gives them some extra time to, to get up to top end speed but can't accelerate well and don't have those short bursts well. We also see that there are some differences uh, in the mechanics associated with these two aspects of speed. And I think for the sake of simplicity, we're, we're kind of breaking it down here in terms of an A and B scenario, uh, but really it's not, that's a little bit contrived. Uh, acceleration inevitably turns into top end speed. Uh, it's nice and neat and clean and simple to think of it as this is acceleration mechanics and this is top end speed mechanics. But in reality, they are, uh, again, just different points on the same continuum. So we're seeing very similar things, but they are different. Uh, so at top, during acceleration, for example, 
we see a much more linear leg action, uh, much less cyclical stepping over of the opposite or support side knee. That gradually transitions to a more upright posture, uh, more cyclical action of, of the leg. Uh, from, what, from the perspective of what the athlete is actually doing, I think it, it actually very similar, but from what the, what the coach will see, it's going to look quite a bit different. And a lot of this comes down to how fast the athlete's center of mass is moving with respect to the ground. And the, the simple fact of the matter is that they can't keep their feet behind them for very long. And in upright running, that the body passes over the support foot so fast that we do get into this position where we have to cycle. We can't possibly have a piston-like action of the legs. So it is very different, I think. Um, it's not something that you, you can't, it's not a situation where you can't improve both, but we do need to look at it as, uh, again, different ends of the same continuum and treat, treat it and respect each one individually rather than thinking that uh, we can do the same thing and impact both top end speed and acceleration. All right, and so you hinted at this uh, briefly in that question on, and this could potentially be a podcast in and of itself, is uh, the debate on horizontal versus vertical forces. Um, and you, again, did hint at it. So some say horizontal is king, some say vertical is king. Uh, give us uh, you know, an expanded uh, version of your stance on that topic. So I think that uh, this is a very interesting period in time in, on research on the kinetics and, and to some extent the kinematics associated with high-level sprinting. Uh, we're seeing that we have a couple labs around the world that are churning out research, research reviews and, and data that is looking at the role of horizontal and vertical forces on sprint performance. Uh, in in my view, I think that some of the some of this research has jumped the shark for uh, on their conclusions. And what I mean by that is that uh, we we went a period of time in what I would call the dark ages, where you had many coaches who didn't really even look at force as a major impactor of speed. Uh, and then we had a little bit of a uh, renaissance, I would say, with Peter, we Peter Wan's uh, seminal research in the early 2000s, which said that basically force is all there is to it when it comes to speed. The more force that you produce, the faster you run. That swing time and how quickly you turn over is not really a significant determinant of speed. Uh, since that point in time, we have 15 years on from that initial uh, weigh-in research paper. Uh, we've since have many other papers that have come out looking at elite athletes. Uh, some of these papers are using the same basic methodology that uh, was used in that initial study where we have instrumented treadmills. Uh, we have some studies now that are looking at overground sprinting which does change things a little bit. And then we have other, other studies which are looking at the force vectors associated with running on a treadmill where the athlete is tethered. Um, now, if you look closely at a lot of these studies, you will see that the different methodology does seem to impact 
the data that is produced or that's coming out of these studies. And I think the gold standard is obviously going to be uh, overground running. If we can look at what's happening in overground running and then uh, a treadmill is great. There's certainly benefits to using a treadmill, but the further we get from overground running, uh, which I think tethered, tethered running or tethered uh, studies are probably the furthest from that, we run into some problems. Now, back to the original question, what's the important part of sprinting, horizontal versus vertical? Well, ultimately, I think they're both important, and I think that's the safe bet. They're both important. And early on, we can say pretty conclusively that horizontal force application is by far the most important, de important determinant of success during the acceleration phase. If I want to move forward, I need to push backwards very aggressively. That's Newtonian mechanics there. If I don't do that, I'm not going to move forward quickly. Uh, as we progress down the field or down the track, as we get more, as we attain more velocity, we need to consider a couple things. We're countering primarily two forces here: the force of gravity and the force of uh, air resistance. Gravity is obviously going to pull us down back back to the uh, center of the Earth, and air resistance is going to impede our horizontal movement forward. So we have to counter those. If we want to keep accelerating, we need to overcome the uh, overcome those two forces. If we don't overcome those two forces, then we will maintain constant velocity. If the force that we apply in either of those directions does not match the force of gravity or air resistance, then we will or friction on the track, then we will begin to decelerate. So. Early on, I think it's safe to say horizontal force application is absolutely critical. It's the biggest determinant of success. Later on, as we get more upright, which for most athletes is going to occur as early as about 15 to 20 meters, and certainly uh, by 25, 25 to 30 meters down the track or down the field, the research is a little bit less clear. What, it's, what it suggests is that uh, we have some studies saying vertical force application is by far the biggest determinant. We have others coming out of different labs which suggest that horizontal force application is the most important. And this is where things get a little bit sticky. We have uh, great researchers on both sides making very strong cases for horizontal or vertical force application. Those in the horizontal force application uh, team basically suggests that while horizontal force application is smaller in sheer magnitude with respect to the vertical force application that's applied at ground contact, the degree to which it, it the degree to which it is important with respect to increasing velocity is greater than it, the increase in magnitude of vertical force application as we get faster. So that's a little bit difficult to understand, but if you think of it like this, if at, at, it, at its peak, it, uh, vertical force application is going to be, uh, let's just use arbitrary numbers for the sake of this argument, say it's 10 units, 10 units of force in terms of the vertical force application to the ground the horizontal force application to the ground would be somewhere on the magnitude of about 
10 or uh, 1 to 2, right? So it's much smaller in terms of its sheer magnitude. But what's actually happening is that as we accelerate, the ability to continue accelerating uh, is more closely related to our ability to to continue to increase our horizontal force application to the ground. Now, that clearly me leaves a case for both your horizontal camp people and your vertical camp people to make a strong argument. As a coach, I try to look to the research and say, how do we reconcile these two different conclusions from very similar data sets? And when I look at what's actually going on from the mechanics of sprinting, I think it can actually become a lot more clear. You see, this horizontal versus vertical debate is largely from the perspective of the ground. We're applying more force to the ground uh, in the vertical or the horizontal direction. And if we look at it simply under that understanding, then yes, horizontal is more important early. It will gradually shift in ratio to a greater vertical force application uh, as we progress and get faster. Now, the error, I think, that is causing some confusion with respect to the conclusions that we make off of these various data sets is that they fail to look at the actions that are associated with the forces that are produced. So if we actually look at the body position with respect to the ground, the movements of the thigh relative to the trunk are very similar in upright running as they are to acceleration. That leg moves from a, a point of extreme hip flexion to hip extension. So it's moving from about 90 degrees hip flexion, give or take, down through about uh, 10, uh, 0 to 10 degrees into extension or hyperextension, as the case would be. So, th and that's going to be the case for both acceleration and top end speed running. The difference, however, is how that is oriented with respect to the ground. As we push on the ground, that leg is going to move largely through the same range of motion. Um, but as a result of the force applications that are generated early on, we can't stay in these low acute body angles with respect to the ground. We have to, the forces that are generated will gradually push ourselves tall. So we will inevitably get into a position where we are in upright running, at which point we're not in a position where we can continue to apply horizontal forces to the ground and very mechanically efficiently. So with respect to what's relevant to the athlete and the coach, I think it's somewhat of a moot point. I think we see that there is violent hip extension both during acceleration and during top end speed. I think it's a little bit misguided to be doing uh, an excessive amount of activities that are purely horizontal force vector oriented um, because I think that it it doesn't quite make sense of what's actually occurring at ground contact at in upright sprinting and even really during acceleration. 
during acceleration, if we were to look at the thigh with respect to the ground, when we make ground contact, we'd be pretty darn close to a position that looks like a quarter squat position or maybe even a half squat position depending on where we are. Now as we progress down the track or down the field and we become more upright in posture, that it, we're still going to be hitting the track with some knee flexion, some hip extension, or some, some knee and hip flexion and we are going to extend both the knee and the hip simultaneously. So we're going to see some level of knee extension, some level of hip extension at every phase of running. Uh, the, the quad is increasingly, er, is very important during acceleration, uh, but the hamstring is as well, the glutes are as well. I think as we move down the track and we get up more upright running postures, more uh, velocity, the hamstring does become more important. But the quad is no less important because it still plays a role in preventing our, cell, preventing our center of mass from moving downwards at ground contact. If we have what I would call a mushy leg where we contact the ground and due to either ground contact relative to the center of mass or perhaps a, a lack of eccentric force generating capacity, that knee essentially gives too much. It's soft. Uh, we're not able to produce the forces through the knee extensor muscles. Then it doesn't matter how efficient and how strong the glutes and the hamstrings are, we've already spent too much time on the ground. What we're trying to do is develop the spring as a whole, the leg spring as a whole. And that's not going to happen by just looking at it purely or overwhelmingly from this horizontal force vector uh, perspective. There's some research out there right now from a, a colleague uh, and uh, talking about the role of uh, the hip extension or the, the, uh, the glute bridge exercise glute bridge movement compared to the front squat and I think it's taken the conclusions perhaps a little bit too far and I think the uh, the, st the study found that the hip thrust or glute bridge exercise was more relevant to acceleration because of, of hip extension uh, the, the force generating stimulus that it permitted for uh, hip extension, but I think this is a little bit misguided and it's a little bit of a poor uh, comparison. Uh, it, the study kind of uh, what I would consider uses the word squat a little bit ambiguously and, and uh, it I think missells the whole story. I think that the glute bridge or the hip thrust is a fantastic exercise, but I also think that the squat it plays a very relevant role and that we shouldn't use an exercise that's comparing something like the, the hip thrust uh, and saying that it is better than a squat when it's this research study that that conclusion is based off of is the front squat, a, an activity that a lot of people don't do that places uh, much less load on the posterior chain, uh, is much more quad dominant. If we look at an activity like the back squat, uh, or even something like a lunge, 
we would see that there's much more balanced leg development and we would see something similar I suspect to what we might see during the ground contacts uh, of sprinting where there is a balanced uh, EMG stimulation at EMG signal at ground contact where basically everything is firing at the same time uh, to produce hip extension and knee extension. Um, so I think it's a little bit uh, a little bit unsafe to make the conclusion that we need to go whole hog on vertical or whole hog on horizontal. The safe bet is to look at the commonalities of what happens during acceleration and what happens during top end speed. Uh, we can safely say that force, force is the primary determinant. So if you get better at producing force quickly, that's a pretty safe bet. Uh, but I don't think we want to place all our eggs in one basket and focus on either just horizontal or, or just vertical. They are both equally important at different points of the race um, and I think our training should reflect that. So while it's tempting to find new and sexy exercises, I think it's a little bit again misguided. The frequent use of activities that are uh, hip extension dominant has kind of come to the fore for the past, I don't know, five to ten years. But we don't really see any improvements in sprint performance over that time and in fact a lot of the sprinters aren't doing anything like that in anything other than perhaps an accessory role uh, it, it, when in fact there many of them are doing traditional strength methodology of squatting to full or uh, half depths with heavy loads. So we just need to uh, make sure we're not being overly dogmatic, look at it from a pragmatic point of what's actually happening from the athlete's body's perspective rather than what's happening from the the force platform in the lab's perspective and see that what we actually train is not too different. I think I got this uh, idea or this con concept from uh, a friend of mine and colleague Brad DeWeese. He said that uh, horizontal force is really just vertical force turned on its side and I know some people have a difficult time wrapping their mind around that but if you essentially just took an athlete and a freeze frame of an athlete and you rotated them from upright position to say 45 degree angle position with respect to the ground you'd, you'd very clearly see what this is trying to get at and that's that what our body is trying to do with respect to the ground is very similar at both ground contact or at both acceleration and top end speed. So we clearly know <clears throat> that forces are important. We, uh, even with that question being answered regardless of horizontal vertical, forces are important. And one thing that can really make or break for an athlete or sprinter um, their ability to produce force or absorb force is posture. So give us an idea of, of how posture can affect speed and what type of posture you're looking for in acceleration and max velocity. So I think posture really is the critical point in terms of speed mechanics and this goes 
This holds true whether we're speaking of acceleration or top end speed. Uh, I come from the uh, Telesian family tree of Tom Telez and Dan Path and Boo Schexnader and you know it holds very very strongly on the basic Dyson's mechanics of, of athletics where if we want to look at the movement of the limbs we need to look where that movement or originates. If we don't get uh, postural alignment correct we are not going to be able to move the limbs through the appropriate range of motion with the greatest efficiency. So we really want to make sure that posture is correct and a lot of people spend hours and hours and endless rep counts on addressing postural strength or core strength but I think it's a little bit more complex than that. When we talk about posture we're looking at both the functional capacity which which would perhaps be addressed by core work but we're also looking at the uh, positioning so not only the positioning but the functional capacity and these two things are tied very closely together we we can't be uh, it doesn't matter if we are super strong if we're in the wrong position it doesn't matter if we are in the right position but we are uh, functionally weak so we need to address both and what I'm generally looking for through the entire uh, continuum of speed from first step all the way through upright sprinting mechanics is neutral alignment of the head with respect to the spine uh, neutral alignment of the spine with respect to the pelvis perhaps a slight posterior pelvic tilt and uh, I did some uh, pilot data collected quite a bit of pilot data on high-speed treadmills in my doctoral studies where we found that posterior pelvic tilt even if it is consciously done so it's not something that uh, that person is naturally in that position can be beneficial to speed it can increase stride length uh, due to its impact on greater front side mechanics so posture I think is, is super important. If, if we want to see the things that most coaches expect to see in hallmark sprinting mechanics, high knees in front, uh, head level, uh, being able to punch down at the ground or punch back at the ground, minimizing backside mechanics, all of this stuff comes from the positioning of the core. Uh, it's kind of like a uh, rudder and mast system and again I'm, I'm stealing from a friend of mine Dave Karen here but if we don't get the rudder and mast correct it's not we can't magically tell the sails what to do or orient the position of the ship we need to make sure that uh, the head and the pelvis are oriented correctly otherwise nothing else is going to happen right and with that question, we'll end part one of this podcast. Part two will address a few additional questions regarding speed and more of the application of many of the topics discussed in this episode. Thanks again for joining us, Mike. Thanks, John.